All right, so Colin, why have you dragged me into Discord at this god-awful hour? Uh, because you wanted to learn more about the proper nouns of the world of Vampire the Masquerade, and I figure people who aren't familiar with the system probably would also benefit from this, because your guys are starting as vampires who would definitely know all this stuff already, so... Okay, that's... That's 90% correct, except what I actually asked you is to tell me about all the pronouns of Vampire the Masquerade. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I finally got it right, and you dragged my mouth. Okay. All right. It. They. that No, okay. Uh, so, the three that I want to start with are the three big ones. The Camarilla, the Anarchs, and the Sabbat. Okay, so, now before we continue, mm-hmm. I'm going to look up because it bothers me because I took three years of Spanish in high school and seeing a double L like that makes me want to use a Y sound. So I'm going to see if it's actually supposed to be Camarilla. Uh, it might be. I think I think there's like this whole thing, like even in universe where people will say either Camarilla or Camarilla depending on like where you're from uh there's a web series that i watch where they do say camarilla and like one of the uh people in that web series works at or either works or used to work at white wolf who makes the game yeah so i've i have googled vampire camarilla pronunciation and the sort of like featured snippet Google result is from the White Wolf RPG Reddit subforum, and it's Camaria, either Camaria or Camarilla. So both are correct. Both are correct. So the Camarilla are the group that you're working towards, and they are basically the biggest and most powerful faction of the vampires, and as a result, they kind of went a little bit fascist. Uh, They are very strict about their rules and how they best perceive to protect vampires writ large. And they basically consider themselves untouchable or they did until recently when their fuck-ups sort of started the Second Inquisition, which is another proper noun that I will get into later. All right, immediate question. Hmm. What sort of sense of scale are we working on here? Is this a thing that only exists in Chicago? Is it confined to America? Is it confined to the American continents? Is it worldwide? What are we looking at here in terms of how widespread the Camarilla structure is? Worldwide. Worldwide. Ah. When I say there's like three main factions of vampires i mean like there's literally really only three like there are a bunch of like smaller sub factions that you can also join in but usually if you're a vampire you identify with the sabat with the anarchs or with the camarilla now we are gonna get into clan leaders but are the clan leaders also worldwide clan leaders no, it is that is like primogens are city dependent. Basically, 
the way the Camarilla is structured is that there are leaders above the princes whose stuff I honestly don't know off the top of my head. I would have to look that up and that doesn't really matter for this campaign. Uh, then there are princes who are vampires who are in charge of an entire city. Vampires are very territorial and princes have basically said, hey, this entire city is my territory. I'm willing to share it with all the other vampires in here, but it is mine. I am sharing with you, not the other way around. Now, how literal is city here? Could, is this like Los Angeles the city, or could it also be LA County, or could it be like Southern California as we think of it for the purposes of the Monster of the Week game? It depends on how much the prince wants. Got it. LA actually does not have a prince uh, in like in the Vampire Mastery canon. Where Chicago is like the Camarilla central focus point, which even in the game itself is true. I did not make that up. Uh, LA is basically the place for Anarchs to go. Got it, got it. But it could be just that like, there's the Prince of LA and then right next door, there's the Prince of Pasadena and they fucking hate each other. Essentially, yeah, they'd probably be at, at each other's throats. At one of the things that the Camarilla try to do is dissuade fighting within the Camarilla. It never happens. Like, this, it's, it's fucking power struggles all the way down, baby. But one of their rules is literally that vampires cannot kill other vampires without permission because their numbers are so spread thin that killing each other is a bad idea because, like, you don't want to spread yourselves even thinner. Yeah, proportionally, every killing is a mass killing. Essentially, yes. The The Camarilla do have these things called blood hunts, which is basically saying, hey, legally speaking, this guy is fucked up so bad that we're willing to kill him to shot him up so that way he doesn't fuck everything over for us. Go kill him. But outside of that, doing a real murder is not allowed under any circumstances. Basically, yes. Got it. So the Camarilla have a strict set of rules, um, one of which is called the Masquerade, which is the Masquerade is basically don't do anything that would expose the fact that you are a vampire to the world because that's bad. There's also a bunch of other rules they have. Hold on, I need to look it's them kind up, of though. nutty to me that the masquerade even exists, considering, assuming I'm reading this correctly, Cain, as in Cain and Abel, as in mm -hmm. one of the sons of Adam, mm -hmm. was the first vampire. So they've mm -hmm. been around for always. Yeah, pretty much. They've all they've been around for always. The thing is, they used because Cain is the first vampire and vampires get weaker as time goes on and basically anything above fourth generation isn't around anymore and humans just fucking outnumber vampires so much that even an extremely powerful vampire could eventually be just overwhelmed by numbers if enough people got you know roused and armed well enough so they decided that, hey, it's better if we just hide. We should just hide and rule from the shadows. 
and that's where the disagreements start coming in. Because the Sabbat are the opposite of that. The Sabbat don't agree with the masquerade at all. They say that vampires should be open with the fact that they are vampires and that humans are meant to serve vampires as chattel and food and all that. And that's why the Camarilla and Sabbat fucking hate each other. They're just so opposed in worldviews that it's just impossible for one or the other to survive like side by side. See, I was on board with that mission statement until the first comma in that sentence. <laughs> like, yeah, why not just like, you know, there's a population in the world that has a medical condition and part of that medical condition means that they can, I don't know, fucking take a freight train to the face and get up in a few hours. Yeah. But uh, less okay with the human species being chattel. Yeah. And also, like, in order to become a vampire, you literally have to be murdered and then resurrected, usually against your will. So a lot of people consider The Walking Dead, you know, fucking not great things to have exist. Uh, And, you know, murder is really just an issue of consent. I'm sure that there would be a contingent of people who wanted to become vampires. Yeah, and most of the most of the time, like I think vampires who are not looking to continue on the heritage are would try to talk them out of it because being a vampire turns out it fucking sucks, actually. Like there's a bunch of benefits, but also like there's this monster who lives inside you that you can never get rid of and it's always hungry. And you you can't permanently feed it other because if you if you make it full, that's you've killed a person. Feeding the beast entirely means you have killed someone. <laughs> so we have Camarilla and the Sabat. Yes. One wants to be open about everything and keep the humans as pets and blood bags, and the other is a fascist light question mark organization that is very very keen on keeping this all secret yes and then you have the anarchs who are more like the camarilla than they are the sabbat so the anarchs basically want more freedom than the camarilla is comfortable allowing for vampires so one of the rules for the camarilla is Essentially, you can't make another vampire without express permission from the prince. You have to go to the prince, you have to make your argument, you have to get his permission, and if he says, and if the, well, I say he, but uh, prince is a gender-neutral title, if they say no, and you do it anyway, you have broken one of the laws, and then you and your child is put to death. Huh. Yeah, so uh, the Anarchs aren't exactly keen on that one. The only rule that the Anarchs really agree with, as far as the Camarilla is concerned, is the Masquerade. 
the only rule they really agree with is, hey, vampires should stay in the shadows and not be open about it because when we're open about it, bad things happen to us. Yeah, all right. Which brings us to the Second Inquisition. Back, I don't remember how long ago, there was a First Inquisition where, this, which is essentially what created the Camarilla, the Sabbat, and the Anarch movements. Basically, vampires got too big for the britches, and then a bunch of religious sects decided, hey, let's go hunt vampires, because it turns out we outnumber them at least 10,000 to one. And there was a giant purge, which almost drove vampires extinct. And that was the first Inquisition. The second Inquisition is happening because when 9-11 happened, it was not a thing that vampires had planned. The people who were in charge of the lore had more respect than that, at least. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, they, they fucking didn't in some regards, and that's why they no longer are allowed to write for that property. Uh, but regardless. So when 9-11 happened and all these, like, government-funded things to, like expand spy networks on its own civilians happened. The Patriot Act, um, what's the, like, DHS, Department of Homeland Security? Yeah, essentially, all that. with those being created, the Camarillo were like, hey, this is a great opportunity to use those systems against our enemies and have the FBI hunt down Anarchs and Sabbat for us, there's no way this could possibly go wrong. Oh, that's... No, I'm sorry. That's the opposite of correct. There is no possible way that this could go right, actually. Uh, congratulations. You are smarter than the entire Camarilla leadership. Uh, because it turns out the Camarilla are so stuck in the past that they didn't realize, hmm, well, we've given them an idea of what to look for in our enemies, so now we've just given them exactly what to look at for us. Oh, what's this? A whole bunch of electronic tips on supernatural monsters just appeared on my desk. <clears throat> Guess what, motherfucker? I backtraced it. <laughs> it was it was less that, but like it's it was less stupid than that, but it was still a very very bad idea. So as a result, there's a thing what the vampires are calling the Second Inquisition, because the FBI and the CIA now know that vampires exist and they know how to kill them. Mostly, there's still some major misconceptions about staking and holy water and shit that, yeah, the FBI is just hunting down a ton of vampires and they've also passed this information to other countries. So it used to be that Munich, Germany was the hotbed for the Camarilla until the Second Inquisition happened. They got 99% murdered in Munich and then so it's like, well, I guess Chicago's our headquarters now. <laughs> but yeah, the, uh, the the Second Inquisition is happening. The FBI literally has an entire division dedicated to hunting down vampires. <laughs> it rules! So as a result, that's another thing the Camarilla doesn't like anymore, because, yeah, they kind of fucked it up with with that, but at least they learned very quickly to abandon electronics, because that is the easiest way to track us. We, they now send letters with 
specific couriers. They don't use phones for basically anything. They don't use computers for basically anything. They're like, let's just revert back to 1400 and pretend none of this happened. Huh. As a result, the tensions between Anarchs and the Camarilla have gotten strained even more because the Anarchs correctly 100% blame the Second Inquisition on the Camarilla. So is this just like a blanket ban on using information technology or is it just in specific usages? Because I remember that there's a part in the book that says that like some vampires will work for overseas companies as like coders and shit in order to continue making a living. You are not allowed to talk about vampire shit with electronics. Everything else is fu- like you okay. can still use you can still use technology. That's fine, but you can't say, "Hey, we're having a big vampire meeting tonight." Like with your phone. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Let's see. What else? Let's uh let's go back to the Camarilla structure because we got as far as princes. Let's double back right. on that and sort of complete the rest of the chain down. Okay, well, there's only really one other big step down, and that are the primogen. So the prince will install one vampire whom they tr- either trust is a strong word because no vampire really trusts each other, but whom they trust or, you know, consider valuable from each clan and say, hey, you're in charge of your clan in this city. So you've got one for the Nosferatu, you've got one for the Toreadors, uh, other cities will have one for, well, maybe not so much for the Gangrel because Gangrel, Gangrel kind of lean more towards Anarch sensibilities, but sometimes they'll join the Camarilla for weird reasons. If there's a large enough population of vampires from the other clans that are not player character clans, they will also have a primogen, but I am sticking with the player character clans for this particular game because I don't know too much about, like, the flesh shapers or the vampires that control that can turn themselves into, like, shadow monsters. How many clans are there? Thirteen. Ah. Yes. So, uh, six of them are not playable. Or, or if God. they are, they are they are in other playbooks that I do not have access to. I see. I see. Uh, so, could you give a brief rundown on the clans that we care about? So, the clans that we care about are the Bruja, which are basically vampire anarchists. I lovingly describe them as the Rage Against Machine song that ends with, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. So how how does that gel with the existence of anarchs? Most of the, most Bruja are actually very anarch-bent, so most of them join the anarchs. It's just, the anarchs kind of don't really exist that hard in Chicago, so it's basically either be a Camarilla Bruja or don't be a Bruja. 
it's kind of weird that they basically have an entire clan dedicated to people who are inevitably going to transition into our enemies. <laughs> then there are the Malkavians, who are sort of future seers. They used to be really, really gross, and they've gotten a lot better in more recent editions because it used to be like mental issues, the clan, where like all of them were batshit insane and like babbling idiots. Now they're just sort of like uh, any mental issues that they had before are just sort of like dialed up to 11 as opposed to being at like a solid five or six. They're the ones who like, if something is hidden, they'll find it. And they will also receive visions that they don't quite, either they don't understand or they don't know how to put into words. So everybody has this like ideal vision of the Malkavians just being stark raving mad when no, they're they're perfectly fine. They're just a little more loosey-goosey than everybody else. It's, it's not as bad as it was in previous editions. All right. The Nosferatu are, well, there was cheerleader, so-and-so, what's-her-face. Nosferatu are the ugly one. That's a Homestar Runner reference, and I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you're probably... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, th- th- thank you for the, the this-is-what-the-reference moment there, because I definitely didn't get it. Yeah, um... So Nosferatu, they are super strong and super stealthy. Like, they're they're freakishly strong. That one show I was talking about that I watched earlier, like, they have a Nosferatu in their game, and he has pushed guys far bigger than him out of windows very easily. They can turn all but invisible. They also have the animalism discipline, which allows them to, like, turn into rats and shit. And every vampire has a curse. So, like, the Bruja, their curse is basically, they literally won't do anything anybody tells them if they get that in their mind. The Malkavians, I already already explained with the mental issues. Uh, The Nosferatu, where their curse on the outside, because Nosferatu are fucking ugly. In previous editions, they used to be so ugly that they were literally walking masquerade breaches. In recent editions, they've sort of toned it down so that they're not as ugly as before, but they're still, like, really ugly. You don't really want to look at one for too long. I am explaining that as uh, because vampires get weaker over the course of generation after generation, that they started out really, really ugly, and as the generations go on, they just get less ugly, and to the point where they're just, like kind of unpleasant to look at now as opposed to just like you want to vomit by looking at them I don't know the image you've got for fish face is it she's not she's not too too bad looking she's not but she also is missing a nose yeah there are humans who are like that true but uh they're they're not supposed to be like super ugly anymore but that's just sort of hand-waving it so that way Nosferatu players can have fun and not just crawl around in the sewers the entire game. <laughs> okay. On the opposite end of the spectrum of being super ugly, you have the Toreadors, who are generally very pretty. They are also, like, the artists and the diplomats. They and Nosferatu kind of don't get along a lot, pretty famously, because of that. And their curse is, like, if they find something is beautiful, they cannot bring themselves to destroy it, even if it puts their life in danger, 
even if it's a masquerade breach, a Toreador who finds something beautiful will not destroy that thing. Ever. Alright. Then we have the Tremere's, who are blood wizards. Uh, mages actually exist in this game, and wizards actually exist, and they have an entirely different kind of spellcasting than vampires do. Vampires, because of this, cannot do that kind of spellcasting, but the Tremere clan has found a way to sort of simulate it using their blood. So they're blood mages, which is kind of freaky. A lot of clans find them really weird, but they also are pretty good at keeping their heads down for the most part and just like not arousing too much suspicion. So it's like, yeah, you won't ever be you won't really be friends with them per se, but you won't also be like enemies. And then finally, well, no, I, f- I forgot about the game grill because I don't have them in here. The game grill are the most likely vampires that you hear that are ones that are like, yeah, they turned into a wolf or they turned into a bat. Uh, the gangrel are really connected to the to the animal side. A lot of vampires tend to joke that, you know, they're more like werewolves than anything, which is not true. Werewolves are a whole different bag entirely. But the, the gangrel are also very much more bent towards being Anarchs than they are Camarilla. And then finally, the Ventru, who are the leader clans. Like, their entire shtick is that they are really good at leading people. And as a result, most princes in the Camarilla are Ventru. Exceptions abound, obviously, but like, look, I've looked at the list online, and like a good half of them, if not more, are Ventru. And as a result, our prince is also a Ventru, and he's very good at being a Ventru. Um, I forget what they're... Oh, yeah, their curses, they have to rule. If they are not in charge, they are extremely unhappy. And when they are extremely unhappy, it, it gets bad. It gets real bad. Oh, so they're, the, they're the type A vampires. Yes, Exactly. I don't think you ever covered the curse for Tremere. I think you skipped that. Oh, the Tremere? I forget. I think their curse is like they they are just like super dead set on gaining knowledge. But let me look that up real quick because I'm not 100% certain. Now, is is curse synonymous with Bane, which is yeah. the proper noun that the book uses? Yes, curse is synonymous with Bane. Uh, let's see. Oh, their bane is, uh, their, their curse is that they can't actually blood bond with anybody. Huh. Eh, we can ignore that. I'll just make, it's my game, whatever. Your, your person's weird. Yeah, my person's weird. (laughs) Jonathan is exceptionally weird. Yep. He is so fucking vulnerable to being blood bonded that even Tremere can do it to him. Yep. But uh, as a result, they also can't make ghouls and shit, so... But you're also caitiff, so that wouldn't really apply to you, because caitiff technically don't belong to any clan. Hey, speaking of caitiff, let's talk about caitiff for a moment. Oh yeah, the caitiff. Uh, They... The caitiff are non-clanned vampires. So... 
as a result, they're kind of suspicious because vampires are very, very, like, tradition and bound by, are so, like, bound by their blood that, you know, it's just weird when somebody doesn't bind that hard and identifies with any of the clans. And as a result, eh, you're weird. Stop looking at me. Stop asking questions. You're not going to get the answers to them because you're weird. And uh, I believe their curse is that they're just fucking suspicious as hell. Yeah, they Kate have no actual banes. It's just that nobody likes them because yeah. they're pretty sus. Yeah. Team six is pretty sus. <laughs> uh, so. Oh, yeah. Um, so there's also a couple proper nouns that I had in there. Uh, Sheriff and Scourge. Oh, Those well, are before we move on to that. Mm-hmm. Let's cover the last group in the the Camarillas, Thinbloods. Oh yeah, uh, Thinbloods. Actually, those that's not a Camarilla thing. Uh, Thinbloods are just a general vampire thing. Basically, I said earlier that the vampire curse gets lesser and lesser the further generations it goes on. Somewhere around the 16th or 17th generation, the curse is actually so diluted that. There are vampires who are being made that are just not normal vampires. They aren't connecting to their clan at all, which is already weird because that's a caitiff thing. But they also can, like, walk in the sun. They aren't afraid of fire. They can't use any of the disciplines, but they've found out this weird way to use, like, to, like, brew weird blood drugs. And... As a result, they're called thin bloods, and a lot of vampires don't like them either because they feel like, you know, they are a sign of the end times. Like, the time of the vampire is almost done because these vampires are so non vampire, like, they're walking in the fucking sun. Yeah, I was gonna ask is that, is that, is there like political and cultural concern over the fact that there is a very clear, like, generational termination point for vampirism. Yeah, uh, there's there's a, some worry that thin bloods are basically the beginning of the end of vampires. Um, if you ask a thin blood, they will claim otherwise. They are saying they will say that they are a new kind of vampire and that the older guys just have to deal with it now. That doesn't work out usually too well. Yeah, I imagine. But also, uh, yeah, valid. That's a pretty valid way of looking at it. That, like, you guys are just, we're just the next, like, strain of evolution. Yeah. So not all thin bloods are, like, like, thin bloods aren't immune to the sun. But, like, mechanically, like, they take way less superficial damage than, uh, no, no, they take way less, uh, oh, yeah. They take way less. No, it's even, it says, Thin bloods only take one level of superficial damage per turn in direct sunlight. So yeah, they are way less, and that's like direct sunlight too. It even says that if it's cloudy or overcast out, then it might even be like once per minute. So whereas a regular vampire will burst into flames and die in the morning sun, a thin blood will just kind of itch. Maybe a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, is it that late already? Jeez, I really should be home. I'm like three blocks away. I can deal with it. But yeah. Uh. 
So Thin Bloods, like I said, they can't use disciplines, but they have found a way to use their blood mixed with a bunch of other stuff to create a thing they call Thin Blood Alchemy, which is just basically vampire drugs. We're going to be honest. Let's, let's be real here. It's vampire drugs. Now, by drugs, are we talking like weed or PCP? It depends. There's a, There are levels of thin blood alchemy just like there's levels of thin blood or just like there's levels of disciplines so there's actually a section in the back of the disciplines for thin blood alchemy and the higher you go the more it is like this is weed this is cocaine this is fucking hardcore methamphetamines but come on Colin you can't start in on that without giving me some long ass pharmacy name for something dangerous this is uh, hydrocodone five three two five. You'll get super addicted to it really quick, but you won't feel any pain. <laughs> Don't worry, you just take just take some suboxone. You'll get addicted to that instead. Uh, so, a lot of thin bloods actually want to be full vampires because like they sort of feel more compelled to be a vampire than a human. So a lot of times when the Camarilla hear about that, they'll go up to uh, to Thin Bloods and be like, hey, you can kind of be in the Camarilla a little bit on a trial basis, essentially. You won't be a real member, on, but if you do good enough and there's a blood hunt, we'll allow you to commit Diabre to become a full-fledged, like, 14th, 15th generation vampire. Hey, motherfucker, that sounds like a proper noun you just said it there. does sound like a proper noun. Um, Diabre is the... So you know how when a vampire creates another vampire, they drain a human of all of their blood and then smear their own blood on their lips so that way it just goes into their body and reanimates it? Sure. Diabre is the process of completely draining a vampire of every last drop. And it's usually frowned upon because, you know, that's sort of like cannibalism. And cannibalism is frowned upon in most polite societies, including vampires. So... Okay, Okay. so then what happens if you do that and then smear your blood on the trained vampire do you create like an ultra vampire i don't think so i think they i think they just come back to life uh so lame so diabre is a way for vampires to move up in quote-unquote generations so if a seventh level of a seventh generation vampire commits diabre against another 7th generation or higher vampire, then they will technically be as powerful as a as a 6th generation vampire. But it's risky because when you completely drain a vampire, you are essentially sucking out their soul as well. And that means that you could possibly be taken over by the vampire that you are just draining and just like you're, you're you're fucked now. You're no, you don't exist anymore. This vampire is just jump bodies. All right. 
So committing Dialbrite is very risky. So, but like if if a thin blood really wants to become a vampire, well then they join in on the blood hunt and they are legally allowed to commit Dialbrite. And the only time Dialbrite is legally allowed under the Camarilla is during blood hunts. Our Chicago Prince actually did commit a Dialbrite uh, against a Sabat, basically the, the, the Sabat's version of a prince. And he went from seventh generation to sixth. Is it always just a move up one? Or could it theoretically be moved up multiples if you found somebody who was high enough above you? I think you could go up multiple generations, but the more powerful they are against you, the more likely it is you are going to lose that contest of wills. What happens if you do it to somebody who is below you? Nothing. You don't get any more powerful. It's just, you just ate a guy. (laughs) It's fucked up. You committed a cannibalism. So theoretically, a whole bunch of people could get together and just sort of stack this on like a general population and then stack it on top of each other and like remake Kane. I don't think so. I th- I, I don't think you can ever remake Kane. There's a joke on the White Wolf website where they showed Kane's character sheet and it just said, fuck you, I'm Kane. Disciplines all. Blood potency like 25. There's, there's no recreating Kane. Well, something thereabouts then. <laughs> but yes, uh, theoretically, you could possibly get a fairly powerful vampire. But I think it. I think with the current vampire population, you'd probably cap out around fifth or fourth generation. Hmm. All right. Like these days, sixth is considered really old because. Third generation is where all the clans started. Like the the second generation made thirteen other vampires who were the third generation, and from there, those thirteen vampires were like, "Well, this is how vampirism should be if we're gonna be like expanding like this." All right. Um. So, sheriffs and scourges now. Yes. Okay. So the Camarilla have two positions known as the Sheriff and the Scourge. The Sheriff is there to enforce the laws. They are typically supposed to come up and warn people uh, beforehand and give them a chance to explain themselves and be like, hey, don't do it again or I'm going to have to come after you. And if they continue to break the rules, the Sheriff's like, look, I fucking warned you, it's time to die. Scourges are just straight-up assassins. If a prince doesn't like someone, they send a scourge. The scourge doesn't give you a warning. The scourge just shows up and cuts your fucking head off. I thought that was frowned upon. Uh, yeah, but in case you didn't notice, uh, the Camarilla are kind of dumb and also a bit, uh, hypocritical. I mean, yeah, but I, you implied that prince's answer to people. I figured that... In that, that would mean that a scourge is something they have to use sparingly. Yes, essentially. Scourges aren't... But also, scourges are also usually used against the other factions, not against other Camarillas. So, like, if an Anarch is getting too big for his britches, the scourge will come after them. 
sheriffs are more supposed to warn the Anarchs and then also, like, enforce the laws in the Camarilla. But scourges are basically, hey, you fucked up too bad, you Anarch asshole. You're, you're dead now. So in our setting, the prince was kind of forced to get rid of the position of scourge for a couple of years, but he already chose sheriffs that sort of act as scourges already. So Stankai is more on the scourge side. He, he, he will show up to warn you, but he'll basically only do it once and it'll be a pretty vague warning. And then if you don't follow through on that, he will gladly just like fucking destroy you. Teleports behind you. Hey, quit fucking up. <laughs> How am I fucking up? How am I fucking up? No other words. Oh, God. But yeah, so scourges are essentially vampire assassins against other factions that need more discreet taking care of, whereas sheriffs are a much more open and brazen show of power for a prince. Sheriffs also actually also usually act as bodyguards. Uh, weirdly enough, you know? Uh, what else? What other proper nouns should we go over? Ghouls! Ghouls. Because we have one of those. Yeah, we have, at, we have at least one of those. I think Ape said that he was that uh that core was gonna have a couple of them. So a ghoul is not an undead creature who eats flesh in this setting. Uh, what a ghoul is in this setting is a human being who has drank vampire blood. And as a result, there's a few nice benefits to that. They age slower, they're stronger, they're faster, they have some very, very, very limited access to disciplines in some regards. But the thing about vampire blood is that it is extremely addicting. So ghouls are usually very dependent on their vampire for their blood. And if their vampire doesn't show up for a while, they will try to honestly just gravitate towards another vampire. So that way they can keep getting their hit. Can they ever become unaddicted? Just get, like, get weaned off, going to vampire rehab? I think so, but it's usually pretty rare because they... Because usually vampires are pretty happy to have someone who is willing to ride or die for them who can also walk around during daylight time. Yeah, I can imagine. It's, it's pretty rare a vampire who willingly turns away a ghoul who's like, hey... I'll suck on your wrist for a little bit if you, like, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Let me do things for you. What happens if a ghoul commits Diablere? I don't think they willingly can because a vampire decides when they get cut off. Uh, but a lot of ghouls actually work towards becoming vampires as well. Like, a, a bunch of them just really want to become a vampire and they're hoping oh boy I really hope this vampire who's like I've been sucking the blood out of their palm for the last seven years lets just like drains me completely of all my blood and turns me into a vampire it doesn't usually happen because it's again it's very useful having someone who is 
willing to just do whatever you want and can also walk around during the daytime. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's it. Unless you have a question about another proper noun. I am looking at the rule book right now. Okay. Uh, there's some stuff that's just like really obvious. Embrace is being turned. Mm-hmm. Vitae is magical vampire blood. Uh, coteries are just like miniature vampire gangs that mm-hmm. have specific purposes. I don't think we need to cover predator types. No. I think I brought this up, but uh, Stank Eyes 100% an alley cat. None of us know what an alley cat is. Uh, alley cats are basically people who are vampires who have to feed by, like, surprising people and sneaking up on them and just be like, hey, uh, it's, it's essentially just fucking the worst. It's one of the worst kinds of hunting. So It's so bad that you actually lose a humanity for fucking taking, for being an alley cat. It's really good. Huh. What I don't get, though, are the vampires who feed on other vampires also lose a humanity? Uh, cannibalism, I guess. I guess. I guess. Yeah. In the combative assault feeder, you stalk, overpower, and drink from whomever you can when you can. You may or may not attempt to threaten or dominate victims into silence or mask the feeding as a robbery. <laughs> Stank Eye is a little more smart, is, is a little smarter than that. He usually disguises it as a robbery. All right, empty your pockets. All right, empty your arteries. <laughs> also, uh, like in character, you would know this. Stank Eye is also not a picky eater. He will 100% alley cat of another vampire. How's, um, I figure in addition to, like, proper nouns, we should maybe cover some setting details that are maybe a little bit ambiguous. Okay. So vampires can feed on humans, and they Mm -hmm. can feed on other vampires, although that's socially frowned upon. Mm -hmm. What's the word on vampires feeding on animals? It is possible, but it's also kind of weird. Uh, at least into vampires. Okay, so, like, it's socially weird. It is socially weird, yes. Uh, Fishface actually gets her name because she uh, feeds on fish blood, primarily. She she doesn't do a lot of human hunting. She uh, she just hangs out at the docks and steals, like, a shitload of fish and just, like, feeds on, like, feeds on as many fish as it takes. So that, um, it obviously comes with, like, social problems. Does it come with any, like health problems? Does it fuck up your digestive tract or whatever? No, I think it's good as long as it's blood, because uh, vampires actually can't get sick. Like, they can't catch diseases and stuff, is what I should say. I have an important question. Hmm. We keep using the word feeding. How literal is that? Um, it's... It's called feeding because you are feeding the beast inside. The beast wants blood, and you have to give the beast blood. Also, you need blood to keep going. So 
um, you can... Uh, okay, but, but, but like, in terms of the physical actions that the vampire takes, are they literally swallowing blood? Are they, like, touching it and it, it absorbs magically through their skin? Like, oh, it, I think they're actually, like, swallowing the blood, yes. Are they digesting it, or does it turn into ether in their stomach? It doesn't turn into ether. It turn like... Blood is basically what powers everything you do. When you move, you use blood. When you use disciplines, you move blood. When you wake up, you actually are using blood, which is why sometimes when you wake up, you just get hungrier because you've used so much blood waking up and burned so much energy that you're hungry and ha that you're hungry now. It just happened. Okay, but like, like, does it actually get digested? Is there like? I don't think it gets digested so much as it gets burned out. Do vampire bladders fill up? I I think there is an upper limit to how much blood you're, you take, but uh, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. So it, maybe not literally, but it does get etherized somewhere in the digestive tract and converted into like magical energy. Yeah but it also simultaneously does exist as blood because vampires can get their blood sucked unless they are producing their own. They're not producing their own. The, the, the entire reason that they feed is because they cannot produce their own. Okay, so Vitae is blood that they've taken in and then converted to this magical substance. Essentially, yes. Okay. So then the order of operations is they ingest the blood, it's converted to Vitae, and then th through some magical mechanism, it enters their veins and functions some, yes. somewhat as blood. Yes. Do vampires need to, like, breathe and shit? No. No, vampires do not need to breathe. In fact, uh, the I have an intro that I've wrote out that specifically um, says uh, in one paragraph, your heart doesn't beat, your lungs don't inhale air, and the liquids in your body don't stir because you're fucking dead. Right. So they, I... Hmm. Do they need to blink? Because their eyes would still dry out because air doesn't cease to exist when you're a vampire, but... Right. I would imagine that they don't have to blink but blinking helps blend them into human society and considering vampires are stealth predators that helps yeah I think the Vitae would keep their eyes moist though <laughs> oh so it's that one fucking meme fetish of licking eyeballs you could just fucking <laughs> fill up on that Oh, man, speaking of blood in the eyes, when vamp vampires can cry, but because their body does not produce liquid anymore, the only liquids they take are, are blood, they just cry blood, which is the fucking edgelordiest thing possible. Oh, man, do they do they sweat blood? No, they don't. Have, I don't uh, think they sweat. But, like, if, okay. if you're willingly bringing up the memory of, oh, this is what crying is like, and you start actively crying, congratulations, blood tears. Okay, okay. I have a question. I'm probably going to cut this one out because this is maybe a little bit much, but I need to know this one. Mm-hmm. What's the word on vampire semen? 
Um, vampires can have sex. Honestly, yeah. Like, I I'm not sure if they produce semen. I'm guessing it would be blood. <laughs> uh... <laughs> but yeah, there's actually whole rules for like how high your humanity has to be before you can enjoy sex. Uh, the tie is stored in the balls. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, other setting things that you might have questions about. Uh, okay. Well, I know about princes. I'm looking at the setting dock right now to see. Okay. Oh, there was a point in the book when when I saw that there's such a thing as kindred names, names that you would take either because they're like you've lost a sort of continuity of existence with your with your life because you're not alive anymore. And so you can't continue to be known as John Smith because John Smith is dead. Mm -hmm. You can't have that name on your driver's license. And so sometimes you'll take a name like that or sometimes you'll just take like a second name for cultural purposes but they mm -hmm. the, the book specifically mentioned some sort of institution called Elysium so Elysium is just basically Camarilla meeting ground it is a neutral ground for all vampires except I think Sabat I don't think Sabat are allowed in there except by like special invite like if you're trying to reach some sort of like peace agreement in a city or something but essentially when you're on Elysium you're not supposed to use powers. It happens all the fucking time. It honestly does. You're not supposed to pick fights. That usually doesn't happen because you can use powers a lot more subtly than you can just throwing fists at people. And it is essentially a place for vampires to like hang out, talk shit out, get things done without violence, and then move on with your life. It usually... It's never that cut and dry because life's not that cut and dry. So why would death be that cut and dry? But that's essentially what Elysium is supposed to be. I'm assuming Elysium is something that every Camarilla city has. Yes. And that is by virtue of like, it's, it's just a meeting place. It's never, it doesn't have to be in the same place all the time. So like one time Elysium can be in like a museum after hours. Another time... Elysium can be like in the prince's fucking office uh, but if, okay if, so it's it's it can just be this is a neutral ground for the next six hours everybody get in here we need to talk yes and sometimes it's like it's not even like let's hash things out it's like hey let's just have a fun night where we're not trying to murder each other for like a night come on let's just have some fucking fun I'm declaring Elysium on Dodger Stadium. Everybody <laughs> chill the fuck out, please. <laughs> Does Chicago have a dedicated Elysium space? Yes, I actually, that will actually be popping up in the first session, but it is the Auditorium Theater, which is an ah. actual theater in the... Uh, in Chicago, and it looks very nice. And I am 100% stealing the fact that Elysium is a theater from uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, because I like the idea. Yeah, right. Um, but if, if it needs to be like a more social gathering than like a meeting gathering, then it usually moves to someplace else. Like, 
a museum after hours or again the uh, the prince's office who by the way Pilsner has the office on the 110th floor of uh, Sears Tower cuz yeah I'm, I'm I'm entirely unsurprised <laughs> I had to look up how tall in floors uh Sears Tower was so that way I could put him on the top is Elysium something only the prince can declare? Or is it just people can agree that this place is Elysium for the night? It has more of an air of authority for princes to do it, because usually because if the prince is doing it, then there's a certain, you know, expectation that if the if the prince is following the rules, then everybody has to follow the rules. But Elysium can kind of be declared by just anybody, but uh, no guarantees that it will actually stick. Alright. Um, vampire kill conditions. We've like, glanced our conversation lines off of them a couple of times, but let's mm-hmm. dig into those. Sunlight. 100% will kill a vampire. No doubt about it. How quickly? Um, I think you take like a point of aggravated damage every turn in direct sunlight, so it depends on your health value, but it's it's extremely quickly. Yeah, how long is a turn? Um, I think f- 10 seconds? I'll have to relook that up, but I, I believe it is 10 seconds. Max health value is 15. So 15 times 10 is 150. That's like, like a minute and a half. And a, like two and a half minutes. Two yeah. and a half. Yeah, two and a half minutes. Um, okay. That's, and that's at most. Yeah, that's maximum time. And it's just like, you turn to ash, you burst into flames. Like, what happens? I think you turn into ash. I, I'll have to relook that up, but I'm pretty sure the canon explanation is that is ash turning into, yes. All right. What else? Fire essentially the same thing as sunlight. I think it's the only other thing short of like higher end disciplines that deals aggravated damage straight out to vampires. Cause usually vampires take non-aggravated damage at half value. And is this like any application of fire? Like if a vampire is like if Jonathan is cooking at the stove and he accidentally glances his hand off of the burner, is he going to need to like, take the rest of the day off because he's maybe kind of in critical condition now, or does there have to be like a certain application of intent behind it? Uh, yeah, it, no, if, if it basically works the same on vampires as it does uh, as humans, if you put your hand on a grill, you're gonna fucking need a couple days off for your hand to recover at like a couple days off at least. Also, because of that, a lot of vampires act actively fear fire and that's mostly because the the beast is what what is called is basically is your survival instinct so it's saying stay away from the sun stay away from fire fire bad fire very very bad i'm sure i won't give you penalties for just cooking a grill but if like there's a house that's on fire you are going to go into immediate frenzy essentially gonna have to fucking roll willpower saves in order to do anything but turn around and walk the other way. Exactly. And the third reliable form of killing a vampire is beheading it. 
Um, beheading it is kind of hard to do in the rules. Like you need to meet a certain like damage threshold in one turn in order to behead someone. So it's kind of rare to to do at lower levels. But yeah, if you cut off a vampire's head, it will fucking die. I also think eventually, if you just are pounded enough, then you will eventually die. Uh, I think if you just take your full value of aggra- of your health and aggravated damage value, you will be killed because you are no longer able to regenerate all that away. Colin, are you trying to tell me that vampires die when they're turned into a fine paste? I think so. I know Bloodborne says otherwise, but I, I, I think, <laughs> I think that's how it works. But uh, I will have to relook that up. It, it might actually be that, like, that just takes you out for the night, and you can't do anything. And if you're out in the open, well, then you've, you're exposed to sunlight, and you fucking die anyway. So, but I, I will have to relook that up. But I'm pretty sure that you can be pounded into a fine paste so thoroughly that you cannot regenerate out of it. Got it. Now, what about things that will fuck a vampire up, but not kill them? Uh, there are exceptions for vampires who have taken the flaws, but um, a stake through the heart will not kill a vampire, but it will put it into a state of torpor. So if it you appear as if dead, but the minute you take the stake out, then you can start moving around again. What else? There's like there's like specific examples. Hold up there. Hmm? Hold up there. You definitely said a proper noun there. I heard the capital letter on that T in torpor. Oh, okay. Um, it's 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 basically you are conscious and aware of things, but you can't do anything. You are essentially dead, but aware of everything that's going on around you. So if you have a vampire that has been staked for like eighty years, that's eighty years of them just laying there just stewing on their lot in life, which, I mean, if you take the stake out, that will probably not end well. Yeah. Do you, like, go into stasis there? Like, does your hunger stay stable? If you're that, yeah, you're like that? Yeah, you're, because you're not rousing the blood to wake up, and you're not rousing the blood to do anything else, so if you're not rousing the blood, then you don't get hungrier. I, I will probably, if if it ever comes to a point where, like, you meet a vampire that's been staked for, like, a hundred thousand years or whatever, I'm going to be like, yeah, he's probably a little hungry, but... It, it takes a, a non-zero amount of blood in order to have thoughts. Exactly. So getting staked will fuck a vampire up and not kill them. Anything else? Yeah. Like, shotgun shots still hurt a lot. It's it's it, it stings, it it hurts a lot, but it won't kill you. Like that won't do you aggravated damage. Does like non-aggravated damage, and you can very easily just use blood to heal non-aggravated damage extremely quickly. But it still fucking hurts. Things that are complete myths, except in rare certain circumstances. Holy water. We actually have an exception to holy water in the party in Salem Jones. Crosses don't do anything. Believe the running water thing is also bullshit. 
Uh, where is advantages? Because I remember looking at all of these. Yeah. Um, garlic is bullshit. Generally. Okay, uh, Folkloric Bane. Ultraviolet light damage has direct sunlight silver or silver-plated weapons. Yeah, all that Holy except water. Certain, yep. Holy symbols pre- presented by a true believer, even without true faith, which is in capital, so I'm guessing that's, like, a stat. Um, it's... It's a mechanic in another World of Darkness game. Uh, there's, like, there's like hunters that have like true faith and like they believe they are actual like vessels of God and like that they are doing a holy job of hunting down the evil vampire, which is an abomination against mankind. Got it. Got it. Holy symbols presented by a believer crossing visible running water, crossing a threshold to a home uninvited, white animals garlic, wild roses. That's one I've never heard before. Same with white animals. Yeah, I've never heard of white animals and wild roses. Um, That's weird. And then spilled seeds that you haven't counted, which I presume also doubles as grains of rice because I've heard that one a lot more often. Yep. Just counting in general. Yeah. So those things are all fake unless you take the specific flaw that makes them real. Yes. And you know what? It took me until like I was in my fucking 20s to realize the reason that count, the count is a vampire is because vampires have to count things. <laughs> fucked up. But yeah. Uh, any other things about the setting at large? Uh, speaking of vampire physiology, let's talk about vampire psychology for a moment. Mm-hmm. So there's... We know that there's the beast which is Mm -hmm. you've partially described it as a curse and partially described it as just like kind of instinct what is it actually it's a little bit of both um it's it's hard to explain essentially there's a thing inside you that one wants you to survive because that means it survives and two, needs blood to survive, so it makes you drink blood to do that. And three, basically drives you into doing all the things that you are doing. And vampires have taken to calling it the beast, because vampires are dramatic bitches. Okay, so it is a known phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And each beast kind of happens differently in each vampire, which is how the clans sort of formed like you know there's these 13 other vampires that had these spe- this specific way of their beasts acting out and as a result they've just kept passing that down and as and that's where the general banes have come from okay is it like known in canon what this actually is? Is it like a fragment of Cain or something? No, no, it's not known in canon what it is. Um, and if if it is, then I don't fucking know, because I don't. I'm not a adult be all expert on the world of darkness lore. Okay, okay. I figure if you don't know it, then it's not. Then it's almost certainly not going to be relevant to the campaign. So that's fine. Ex- precisely. 
Uh, you, when we were talking about, like, crying blood, you said recalling the memory of crying. How do vampires do with, like, emotion? Uh, they feel it the same as, like, I... I said recalling the memory, but that's mostly because, like, I was just waxing poetic because you're dead and therefore technically not really... It's not you who's really doing anything. It's kind of a combination of you and the beast. But anything that you do is... You're, you're human plus. The way vampires usually embrace people is that they... It's especially in the Camarilla, because they have to be vetted so hard, is that they choose people who are a lot like them... So if you're already, like, prone to, like, outbursts because you're not getting your way and how dare people not listen to you, you're already pretty much a Ventrue. So they're, so another Ventrue is going to be real interested in you. Uh, so vampires feel happiness and sadness and anger and all that the same as any other human being does. But... It also has to deal with how much of a you connect to your humanity, and the less you connect to your humanity, the more like a fucking monster you are. So you, there's like even rules for like walking the thin line between like having so so much humanity that you forget you're a vampire, and like having so little humanity that you are that you're just basically a feral monster. Can a vampire fall in love? Oh yeah, that's a whole that's a Toriador's whole thing. <laughs> okay, but not like not like obsessive aesthetic love. I mean like actual ass having a romantic time. Yeah. Yeah, they can. A lot of um a lot of vampires like the vampires when they are first turned will actually still be romantically involved with the people they were romantically involved with in the first first place. Till it no longer becomes tenable to do so. At which point they try and either ghoul them or turn them into a vampire, depending on how much of a fucking awful person you've become since then. Oh, I just had a... Oh, um... Do vampires age much? No, they do not age. Uh, you're... The age you were when you died. So if you see an older vampire who's in his 40s, like uh, our prince, he was turned when he was like in his, he was turned when he was in his 40s. Uh, if you see a vampire who is a child, that is literally a child who was murdered and turned into a vampire and they will be that age forever. That will not be showing up in this game. I'm sure, however, somewhere in the world of darkness, there's like a vampire who looks like they're six. But you'll still, like, age internally. Your mental age will continue to advance. Yes. You will continue okay. to learn and gain experiences in which you will age in that way. But, like, externally, you do not age. But, obviously, vampire appearances are not 100% static. Because... I, I, you will not be able to convince me that Stankai looked like that before oh. he died. No, 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 no. Because uh, Stankai, like Nosferatu specifically, their curse is like they go through a grueling, extremely excruciatingly painful transformation over the course of weeks. 
and ah. they their curse is worn on the outside. Nosferatu are basically ah. the only exception to the rule. Well, there's also a couple other exceptions, but they're not clans that you can play in this game. Got it, got it, got it. I think it's the Shimsi that are the flesh mages. I don't remember. So vampires are effectively emotionally human. They have static physical bodies. Are there any other like worldwide or world spanning setting details that we need to be aware of? For the campaign, I do not believe so. There is a big vampire war going on because people believe that like the end times are coming and their version of the end times is called Gehenna. It's essentially like vampire Armageddon. So mm-hmm. but that that's not going to be coming up. A lot of older vampires, which is red sixth generation and up, are being like pulled mentally towards the Middle East to fight in it. But Pilsner are still around. Nobody's sure if that's because he deoperated himself to sixth generation or if he's just resisting the call. All right. But yeah, I, I, as far as stuff that's relevant to the campaign, I can't think of anything world spanning that's going on. Is the, um, like, how active is the Second Inquisition? Fairly active. Not so much in Chicago. Um, I have it so that, uh, because Pilzer is such a fucking connected, powerful vampire that he has people in the FBI that he, like, bribes or blackmails or somethings into keeping the Second Inquisition away for the most part. Every once in a while, they'll show up and be like, we've got a bag of blank body and uh, kill a vampire or two and then leave. But for the most part, uh, the Second Inquisition is not that active in Chicago in this campaign. Could you please define blank body? FBI term for vampire. Got it. They have their own fucking Plinko. Yeah, course. they do. They do have their own Plinko. Uh, it's really, it's actually really good. Like, I've read some of the lingo that the World of Darkness FBI uses for hunting down vampires. <laughs> it's all really good, actually. I fucking love the term blank body. The FBI, it's, it's known in the World of Darkness setting that the FBI kind of buys into some of the bullshit weaknesses like they like you'll see an F, occasionally see an FBI agent like walk into town like as part of the second inquisition and in his coat he has like a crucifix and like three vials of holy water and like four stakes yeah just some fucking Van Helsing wannabe yeah essentially who hasn't read the real lore <laughs> speaking of what's up our are dudes like Van Helsing and Dracula, are they... Were they real? I remember Dracula being real in Vampire the Requiem, which was like sort of the hard reboot of the setting they did back in the early 2000s. I don't know if he is a real... No, he was a real uh, vampire in... Uh, World of Darkness. I think he was like a fourth generation. 
yeah, so Dracula existed, Van Helsing existed. In fact, I think there's like an entire order that Van Helsing used to belong to that is still around to this day. Um, The Order of St. Leopold, I think. They're not going to pop up. They're not going to pop up in this, so. Um, Question about more supernatural stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. There's specifically a haven flaw called Haunted. And it says that your house might have a ghost in it. Uh, ghosts? Question mark? Exist. What other supernatural stuff are we looking at? Oh, you know, demons. So we've sort of like danced around werewolves a couple of times. So yeah, oh. werewolves, demons, ghosts. Let's let's talk about all of this stuff real quick. Okay, so uh, ghosts. They can't really do much aside from like throw, like possess it and throw and like throw stuff at you. Uh, they are mostly harmless, physically, mentally. They're di- a whole different can of beans. They, they'll haunt your ass and like fucking wear you down mentally. Um, I'm not exactly sure on the extent of their powers. Uh, werewolves exist. And werewolves are fucking terrifying. They are more like forces of nature that are... My favorite joke to say about the World of Darkness is that World of Darkness vampires love to say, haha, we're the apex predators of the world. And then a werewolf turns his head around like the corner and they just shit their pants and run away. Okay. Werewolves are even harder to kill than vampires because werewolves are bigger, stronger, faster, only really weak to silver, can walk in the daylight, and uh, have also have, like, their own whole suite of magical abilities that they can do. Um, the only saving grace that vampires have against werewolves is, one, vampires outnumber werewolves like a thousand to one, and two, well, werewolves... population. Yeah, and two, werewolves kind of tend to stay out in the wilderness. In World of Darkness terms, they're easiest to describe as, like, eco-terrorists. Huh. Yeah, I was gonna ask, how much of a, like, society do they have? Uh, I I think they have a society. They have, like, their own, like, clans and stuff, too, that, that's also very much, like, you know, vampire stuff. But, like, they're so powerful that, like, if you were to play a game of World of Darkness, you could easily have, like, you know, vampire, a vampire, a constructed, and a normal human in a party, and, well, not a normal human, but, like, a mage in a party, and they would all be fairly balanced. If you put a werewolf in there, the werewolf's just gonna fucking steamroll everything, because werewolves are just <laughs> that ridiculously powerful. They also hate vampires, because, like I said, the whole eco-terrorist thing, they, like, work for, like, the spirit of the Earth. And since vampires are actively, like, you know, walking dead, that's sort of an abomination. So werewolves will just, like, fuck, if they see a vampire, they will try to murder you. And they will probably succeed unless you pull some more shit. Got it. Got it. So now we've brought up demons and spirits. I'm not actually too sure about demons. I know they exist, but I, like I said, I'm not a World of Darkness like lore expert. I know they exist, and I know they've got their whole thing going on, but I'm not exactly sure on the details. They're not going to be relevant. Let's not worry about it. 
Precisely. Same for spirits, I guess? Yeah, same for spirits. Alright. Any other supernatural phenomena we need to be briefed on beforehand? Not that I can think of that would be relevant to the campaign. We're not going to be fighting any human mages or anything? No. No, vampires mostly... Vampires mostly about the politics and stuff of other vampires, because it turns out vampires hate werewolves, but they also hate other vampires. They're solitary creatures trying to be trying to masquerade themselves as like social creatures. It's great. All right. Well, here's a supernatural thing that is probably definitely going to come up. What is blood potency? Um, Blood potency is in mechanical terms, like how much you can rouse the blood in one turn, I believe. But um, essentially, the older the vampire is, the more powerful they are and the more they, they can just rouse in one turn. I believe as 12th generation vampires, you can only rouse it once. But like Pilsner could can rouse it like two or like three or four times of being a sixth generation, at least three, actually. There's like specific numbers that they give in the book somewhere. All right, now we've definitely said rouse the blood like eight times so far and haven't defined it. Rousing the blood is something a vampire consciously does. Um, They basically call upon the blood in their body to do stuff. As like you have to rouse the blood in order to just wake up for the night. If you don't have blood, then you can't wake up until somebody gives you blood. They can also rouse the blood to do other stuff like activate their powers or add temporary uh, buffs to their stats. So, like, if you want to punch someone real good, you can rouse the blood and potentially become hungrier for an extra point in strength for one roll and just add to that. Um, I believe you can also willingly choose to become hungrier to like re-roll anything that isn't a fi- anything that wasn't a success I'll have to look into that I, th- I think that's how it works it's been a while since I looked at that particular mechanic though but yeah rousing to blood is basically hey I'm willingly calling my blood to do some freaky deaky shit and also wake up <laughs> yeah freaky deaky shit sometimes includes get out of bed in the morning and you know what <laughs> As someone with some pretty severe depression, uh, agreed. <laughs> Occasionally, that's just that's just fucking sorcery, IMO, that people can do that. Are there any other political stuff? Because you just said that one of the big focuses is vampire politics. Are there any vampire political actions or practices or stations that we need to know about? Not that I'm aware of that I haven't already explained. It's mostly the Camarilla trying to... It's mostly Camarilla doing Camarilla shit in this campaign. Alright. I can't think of anything else. And it sounds like we're done. I think so. I think anything that we missed... I think that was everything major and anything that we missed will wind up being minor and something we can just cover when it comes up. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe I should explain a little bit more about the, like the specific setting that I'm using. Uh, specifically 
I said that there weren't any, there wasn't a Gangrel primogen. So the reason for that in this campaign is because back in 2004, the Gangrel primogen decided that she had had enough of Pilsner's rule and declared Praxis. Oh, Praxis! We completely forgot about Praxis. I thought of it at one point and then sort of half remembered that we maybe sort of kind of defined it previously, but yeah, let's um let's cover Praxis. So Praxis is the act of a Camarilla saying, I am prince of this city. I am in charge. Fight me if you disagree. And you know what? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's just how it be. That's Praxis. That's Praxis. Um, but the Gangrel Primogen declared Praxis on Chicago, basically saying, I fucking hate Pilser. I want him gone. Chicago's mine now. She also started this war by killing the then sheriff, who was the sheriff before Stankai, and basically that, that was the opening act of the war. The war lasted about three months. It did not go well for the Gangrel Primogen. Eventually, Stankai staked her, supposedly killed her, uh, though there is a rumor that we have that uh, that she is actually staked in his, uh, his lair underneath the loop. And as a result of basically all the Gangrel saying, yeah, we kind of agreed with the Primogen, the prince was like, fuck it, you're all out of the Camarilla, you're not under my protection anymore, uh, so leave, now or die and that's why there's no Gangrel Primogen anymore Can you have a clan without a Primogen? You can I actually had even written it in the doc where if you wanted to play a Gangrel you would have been an exception to the no gangrel are allowed in the Camarilla rule anymore, but you would not have a primogen and you would not be allowed to be the primogen. The gangrel just would straight up not have enough representation to necessitate a primogen at that point. Is that a position that you claim for yourself? Is it one appointed by the prince? Is it one that's inherited? How does that work? It is appointed by the prince the prince picks and chooses their primogen and Pilzer has picked his primogen in such a way that they're always constantly fighting each other and never concentrating on him. How much power does the prince have with regard to commanding the clans? It depends on the city, but in this specific case, a lot. He basically rules Chicago with an iron fist. He's... Nobody even tries to question him, because when you start questioning him, mysteriously, you've breached Masquerade for some reason. Oh no, Blood Hunt. Now, how much of this is backed up by him being, like, really politically savvy and how much of this is him backed up by being the strongest motherfucker in the land? Um, about 50-50. Okay. So, there's conceivably enough of 
like he's he's not so powerful that if everybody turned on him and said get the fuck out he would be able to say no fuck you actually and shut them all down exactly um actually but that's part of the reason why he has his primogens set up the way he does because they very rarely agree on every on anything but when they do they the last like the last time they actually agreed on something was back in 1992 and they did strong arm him into doing something so there's that but for the most part the primogen in chicago are mostly vestigial and they just don't have any real say in what goes on in the city at large there are there are cities in the world where like the prince is just a figurehead and the primogen are all actually in charge but this is not that case okay that's interesting so presumably if everybody could get their acts together they could completely flip the table on him yes but it is very rare that that happens and he has set that up on purpose got it and if they were to flip the table on him would the people in the ranks above Prince step in to correct that? Nope. Ah. There, it, it, princes are basically you trying to prove to the people above them that you are ready to be in that position. And if you can't keep control of your fucking city, well, then guess what? You failed the test. Got it. Too bad. So sad. Better luck next time. <laughs> Except Probably not actually, because you're probably actually just dead. Yeah, probably. All right. <sighs> That's praxis. That's praxis. <laughs> <laughs>